genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Welcome to Why I Believe. My name is Christian and I'm here in the studio once again with Michael and Brad. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, listeners. Thanks, Christian. Now, you're listening to Why I Believe, where we have a casual chat about reasons for faith, reasons why young people who are born in this society, who have an education in this culture, uh, would dare to believe in the Bible, would dare to believe in God. We've been looking at a number of topics over the last few weeks, um, and one of the things that we've repeated again and again is that God is good, and in fact, in the Bible, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says that God is love. We've talked about him creating us to give of himself. We've talked about just his incredible being, the, the ideal perfect being that cares, that loves, that shares. But one of the obvious questions that most people will ask when, when you talk about faith is, if God is so good, what follows? Why so much suffering? Have mm-hmm. you had that happen? Have you had that asked of you? It's a good question. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's... it's like I know, I know my answer to uh, that I've sort of internally found, but it's a, it's mm-hmm. a serious question, and you know, yeah, don't blame people asking it. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and you know, it's one thing when you meet people, and I have who say, "Why are bad things happening in other parts of the world?" It's another mm. when people say, "Why did my child yep. die?" Why is my spouse diagnosed with cancer? They're a good person. Well, mm. that's particularly you know sometimes you know this person does all this stuff, their brother does this, and. Yeah, look what happened. The good one got done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do the right thing, you get done in, you misbehave, you party, you rebel, you go crazy, yep. you live till you're 98 and you die peacefully <laughs> in your sleep. Yeah. There seems to be sort of like this um, built-in thing into us human beings that if you do the right thing, that the good things should follow. It's like, that's right. You know, it seems like almost like just a built-in thing that is, maybe it's a sense of justice or something. Well, that's where that whole idea of karma comes from. You know, if you do something good, then something good comes back to you, mm. but... It's pretty much not really the case most of the time. <laughs> yeah. But it's deeply ingrained like all religions, cultures everywhere, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And then people say, well, sure, even if for some reason God allowed bad things to happen, why doesn't he intervene before they get out of hand? You know, <laughs> if you had all power mm. to stop something evil, something atrocious, rape, um, murder, um, genocide. And God claims terrorism, he has that. Yeah, God claims he's got that. Mm. At least intervene then. Sure, bad things start to happen, but stop them before they get out of hand. Yeah. Well, an easy way to, to think about that actually is think about what kills more people, you know, guns or cigarettes. Mm. So if God is stopping people from stepping in and murdering each other with guns and we're saying, oh, why, why is God not stopping this? Mm. Well, why is God not stopping cigarettes why isn't he stopping people from smoking because that kills far more people every year and that's a really good point but some people say well smoking is something i choose to do to myself (laughs) so god should give me freedom for myself Mm. but god should stop when people hurt others especially when they hurt innocent people Mm. they hurt innocent children the defenseless the vulnerable in our society Mm. so what does the bible have to say um about evil we're going to start with first peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And we're going to wrestle with this question. Uh, Are we going to get to an answer that gives us what God does in every situation? Um, Probably not. Mm. But we're going to get to an answer that shows us the big picture of how God works in the grand scheme of history. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And if one of you would like to read that whenever you get to it. Thanks, Brad. Sure. 
Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, so the Bible talks to us about evil uh, and as an enemy being the devil. Um, what is the devil? What does the devil do? Who is the devil? All very big questions. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And the other question is, we, we talked about creation. We talked about God making everything. Did God make a devil? Did God make a devil? <laughs> That's a really good question. And, you know, to be fair, if God made everything, the answer to that one is obvious, isn't it? We have to say yes in a way. Well, God must have had some involvement <laughs> yeah. in creating this being yeah, that yeah. we now call the devil. But at least what the Bible does do, it gives us a, an indication of where to look as the source of evil. So God doesn't make evil. It's the devil that brings about evil. But who made the devil? Well, by extension, you have to say God was somehow involved in that process. Yeah. So let's go back through history. We're going to go to the Old Testament and look at a little bit of a background as to the origin or the source of this devil. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. And here we read a prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel. And it's interesting, this prophecy is about a particular nation, the city-state of Tyre, which was an enemy of the Israelites back a few thousand years ago. But as you read through, you discover that the prophecy is about a power or a being that is behind the physical kingdom of Tyre. So there is this supernatural force or entity or being that is leading this particular kingdom Mm. to carry out the evil that it is carrying out. So Ezekiel chapter 28, and we're going to start reading from verse 11 there. Maybe, Michael, if you'd like to start reading there. Sure. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. This is Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysotholite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherubs, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. Okay, we're just going to stop there. What is it telling us about this being? What are some key things that stand out? When he was created, whatever this being was, he Mm -hmm. was perfect. Okay, so it's definitely not talking about the king of Tyre, who's a human. Uh, It's obvious that it's talking about something much greater than the king of Tyre, the power behind the king of Tyre. Well, I mean, a guardian cherub, that doesn't sound Mm. like the king of Tyre at all, does it? (laughs) Absolutely. We know the king of Tyre, well, many kings of Tyre lived Mm. and died. And in fact, we know very little about them. But this was a a guardian cherub, an an angelic being. Cherub is an angelic angel, yeah. Yeah, a heavenly Mm. messenger, a heavenly Mm. being. What else? Well, just being in the presence of God, like, Mm. you know, to say that the king of Tyre was in the presence of God is, you know, you're present on the yep. holy mount of God, walked among the fiery stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't claim that about the king of Tyre. No, in Eden, the garden of God, and then it mentions some stones. And Michael, you did really well with the pronunciation <laughs> on all of those. Uh, I was I thinking, know. I'm glad it's you and not me having uh, to read those. <laughs> what does that description there uh, indicate? Just with all those precious stones, the metals there. Well, it's beauty, great beauty. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible beauties, dazzling, and I guess yeah. extravagant wealth. Yeah. Um, it pretty much lists every single precious stone yep. and metal available to the ancients. There was yep. nothing really lacking. And it tells us that God ordained this to happen, or God made this being. This being was what or who it was, 
as a result of God's choice. Brad, would you like to read verse 15 there? You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Okay. So well, it's mentioning a special creation as well. Mm. It's not like, um, you know, that's once again, can't be the king of Tyre. He was born from a mother. Like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, this is a being that was created. Absolutely. Mm. Yep, yeah. yep. A unique being created specifically by God. Just like it talks about Adam being mm-hmm. created, Adam and Eve yep. by God. Yep, that's a good point. And then in verse 15, it tells us blameless. Yeah. Perfect. Did no wrong up until a particular point in time. Till wickedness was found in you. Till wickedness. Now, the word for wickedness there, and various translations use a different word. Some use the word lawlessness, Mm. wickedness, evil, um, sin. Um, The root word there is a derivative of the concept of lawlessness, or Mm. to be with or outside of law, or to be in rebellion, in opposition to the law. So here is a perfect being that God creates who has everything going for him. Beautiful, in the presence of God, an anointed cherub, a covering cherub. Uh, And even that concept of a covering cherub is someone that's directly in the immediate presence of God. Mm -hmm. So he's someone really close, familiar with God. Uh, But at one point in time, there is a rebellion to law. Which law do you think this could be? Well, God's law, clearly. Yep. The context is all about in God's presence in, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, there's no other conclusion. It mm. has to be the law of God, the law of the universe. When we talk about God's law, and we're going to look at this a little bit later, but what are the main principles of God's law? Love. Yeah, yeah. like love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you do yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Love is the cornerstone of God's kingdom. Yep. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, love is the foundation that guides how God interacts with humanity again yeah. and again. Mm-hmm. We talk about grace and mercy and patience and kindness and all these things can be summed up into love. Mm. So God's law is that of love, which is living a life of unselfish service for the benefit of others. Yeah. Yep. And this being at one point in time chooses to rebel against that law of love what would be the opposite of living a life of unselfish service for the benefit of others? Selfishness. There can be only one. Yeah. Yep. Um, And this being turns around and starts to look within instead of looking without. Let's read the next few verses there. Maybe Michael verse uh, 16 to verse 17. Sure. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Okay, what are the clues or insights does it give us about what's happening here? Well, it's talking about heaven and earth involved here. It's Mm. like, you know, it's very distinct. You know, there's stuff happening in heaven, and yeah, impacts come resulting for us here on earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it tells us a little bit more about this being. Verse 17, as you said, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Reiterating what we were told earlier on about the Mm. extravagance, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. Um, and it almost seems, I guess in a colloquial way, uh, it got to his head. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was the best there was, and he became proud of it. Uh, It talks about trade and violence, and if you look at the original words, uh, it essentially implies by the nature or by his many activities. So he's a person who's extremely beautiful, extremely 
um, intelligent, who has significant responsibilities. He's got it all going for him. And he says, well, maybe it's time that I think inwardly <laughs> instead of outwardly. Mm-hmm. Maybe this whole concept of love, mm, not sure if that's the best way to do things. Maybe I start to think of myself and who I am and rebel yep. against the laws of the universe and, and the order of the universe. Well, I mean, if you start considering yourself to be that good... I think what eventually ended up happening is this being started thinking he was so good, he kind of thought, well, hang on, why is God in charge then? Mm, Maybe I should be in charge because I'm so good. And you know, the Bible actually mentions the specific thing you're saying. Right after the break, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 14, where it gives us just a few more insights as to what's going on in the heart and mind of this angelic being. Okay. 
answer the cry of a broken. You answer the cry of a broken. You answer the cry of the broken. Welcome back to Why I Believe. I'm here with Brad and Michael in the studio. We're talking about why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering when God claims to be so good? Mm. And as Michael highlighted, also able to intervene. He's got the power to do something about these things. Mm. And yet so often we don't see him intervening. Now, we were reading a passage in Ezekiel chapter 28 about this perfect being who has everything going for him. At one point in time, gets a little bit proud and decides to rebel against God's law of love. Now, right there at the end of that passage, it mentioned that he was cast out of the presence of God. Mm. And Brad, you made an interesting comment about this, this being almost feeling that somehow he knows better than God. Uh, and it's funny, that's almost a typical teenager experience, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. You, know, you raise a child, you give them everything uh, to have a fantastic life, and then they hit three and a half and they know it all. <laughs> and by the time they're in their teens, there's nothing left to teach them. And it almost parallels that experience, doesn't it? Didn't you know everything when you turned 13? Look, I, I was probably oh, about I seven. I yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit sooner. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Early starter. There's another passage in Isaiah chapter 14 that gives us some more insights and really parallels what Brad was saying. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And again, here it's talking about another nation, but the power behind that nation, that's the nation of Babylon and the power that is inspiring and fueling its aggressive behavior. So Brad, would you like to read verse 12 to verse 14 there, please? How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God, far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Now, where you read that segment there that says morning star, in some translations, it uses the word Lucifer, Mm. the Latin word for the morning star. Mm. And that's where we get the association for Lucifer with the devil, Satan, Satan, and evil. So here it's talking about this being, very similar to what we were reading in Ezekiel chapter 28 about this being being cast from heaven. What are the insights does it give us about this story? Very much the whole proud thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It re-emphasized that. And what's his ultimate aim? To be God. Okay, to be to have, God. Yeah, to have everyone worship him and yep. and basically say that, yeah, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. What you believe is the best way to live. Yeah. Now, worship is one thing. And I want to come back to what you said just at the end there, Brad. It's, it's a, he's also pulling himself up. Like mm-hmm. rather than, it's like, I will ascend. I will do this. I will do that. It's a real like um, putting mm-hmm. himself in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me, me, me. Mm. Now, accepting worship is one thing, and that seems obviously to be part of his agenda, uh, wanting to be in charge, wanting to be above the stars of God, uh, and an inference to other created beings or angelic mm. beings. Um, but to be like God, what can God do or does God do that I guess his created beings generally can't or don't seem to feel they have? I mean, right. one to create, yeah. yeah. Do you think, I mean, he can't create. So yeah. it wouldn't have been the creation thing that he was after. I don't think he was naive enough to say, I want to create like God because he doesn't have yeah. the power to make stuff from nothing. Yeah. Uh, what are some other things that God can do? We've mentioned worship. God receives worship. Mm. Yeah. Yep. 
you've actually stumped me there. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> to know what where I was going to say. Worship is a big one. Yeah, it is a big a one. one. So, yeah, you know, yep. like having the praise and adoration mm-hmm. of other beings. That's you know, if you if you want to get proud about something, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I want you to think about this universe that God has created. And worship is definitely a big one. Uh, but think about this universe and how Lucifer would have seen it as being obedient to God and subservient to God. Every being in the universe, including Lucifer, is created by God and listens to God. Who doesn't listen to God or have to listen to God? God. God. (laughs) You know, he's he's the only one that is outside of laws, seemingly. He's the only one that has the power to do whatever he wants, Mm. whenever he wants. Who tells God what to do? God. Nobody tells God what to do because God tells himself what to do. Um, And this is where I think him wanting to be like the most high um, comes into play. Sure, there is definitely worship. It's nice to be the center of attention. uh, But we to set the rules, to set set the boundaries, get to choose what goes on. Absolutely. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, it told us that it was a rebellion against God's law. Hmm. Uh, And really, how do you rebel against the law? By ignoring it. And really the only way to survive is to make your own laws, I guess, or to create your own legal system or system of order. Mm. So here is a being who says, I don't like God's laws. I don't want God's laws. I want to be in charge of my destiny. I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. I want others to worship me, others to follow me. What's so wrong about that? Why do we have to do what God tells us? (laughs) It seems like something very trivial at first until you actually kind of take a a closer look at what God's law is. Mm. And you have to realize that God's law is perfect and it is actually the perfect ideal Mm -hmm. way to live. Mm -hmm. And so when you start going away from those things, you're living in a way that ends up hurting yourself, hurting Mm. others, destroying things. Which he doesn't believe, obviously. No. He thinks, hey, you know what? Living by God's law of love means I'm always doing things for others. I'm always listening to God. I'm always serving. Mm. I don't want to serve. I want to be the top dog. Mm. I want to be it. I want to do things my way. And I can almost imagine a famous movie line where he's in there in heaven shouting, freedom. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's basically saying we don't have freedom mm. because God creates us, he makes us, and we have to worship him. I mean, when did God say you don't have to do what I'm telling you? What sort of freedom do we have? I can just mm. imagine that being yeah. the foundational argument of what this being is, is arguing for. So what happens and what does God do? What could God do in this situation? Turn to Revelation chapter 12 and uh, talk to me uh, while you're at it. Here is God. He creates beings. He creates a universe. He creates the law of love. He gives them a purpose, meaning, reason. They worship him. They follow him. They do what he tells them to. Um, You know, everything's fine and dandy. What more could you ask for? But then there's this being who says, I don't want to follow these laws. I don't want to play ball. I want to be God. I want to do my own thing. I want to be in charge of my destiny. What are some mm. of the options that God has? What could he do? Uh, zap. That would be fantastic. Yep. We wouldn't have been in this problem, in this <laughs> mess. We wouldn't yep. have seen the suffering and the pain. Yeah. But when you're all powerful, you could not only zap, you could also remove any memory of the being from everyone's minds. and Oof. We no. wouldn't be here having this discussion, right? <laughs> no. no? <laughs> we wouldn't know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Why doesn't God do that? Well, I mean, uh, that comes back to love as well. You know, mm-hmm. if if you're playing with your, your puppy and it accidentally gives you a nip on the finger when you're rolling it around on the ground or something, and then you go, all right, well, that's it, zap, no more puppy. And I'll make everyone forget that we even had a puppy. You know, that's not really a loving thing to do. Mm. And it's the same, 
I mean, obviously, a puppy doesn't have like conscious thought or anything, but it's the same as if you have a friend. You can have a perfect friendship for years and years and years, and then they'll say something that hurts your feelings, and you go, all right, zap, get rid of you, you know, because you've ruined this perfection. Mm. You know, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You're mm. gone. That yeah. wouldn't be loving at all, would it? And it no. comes down to the really close relationship between freedom and love. Mm. Because you look at any relationship, if you can't love unless you have freedom not to love. That's impossible. You can't have the two, yeah. Yep. 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 I can't tell my kids, you must love me. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> hey, I can make them follow my directions. Nor would it be exciting. No, not at all. Nor would it warm your heart, nor would it do anything for you. Particularly in a relationship of a couple. Yeah. If I tell my wife, you must love me. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's just like another, it's just like craziness. Um, That's right. You know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my wife would laugh at me if I told her that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love you, but you're sleeping on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Genuine relationships require freedom. Yeah. And genuine love only has value when it's given freely. Yeah, it's like that saying, you know, about love. If you love something, set it free. If mm-hmm. it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. And, you know, that's love, freedom. Yeah. It's all so closely tied together. I've got a, an app on my phone called the Self-Esteem app. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it reads through my contacts. Yes. And then I shake it. I shake the phone and it says different things. It might say things like, Michael thinks you're amazing. Oh, <laughs> Brad thinks you're the top dog. And it just does that again and again with all of your contacts. Wow. Um, do you think that makes me feel better? Do you think that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a little laugh and I might take a screenshot and, and you know, send it to my friends. <laughs> yep. But that, that means nothing. No. You know, it doesn't create warm and fuzzies. It doesn't enhance our relationship. It doesn't do anything because it's programmed to do that. Yeah. Mm. Siri telling Siri on your phone telling you that she loves you would mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely. So God creates free beings with the freedom to choose and they can freely love him and worship him. What he does instead of destroying Lucifer, he says, I love you too much. You're, I created you to love. You have freedom of choice. Mm. If you want to be like God and, and make your own rules and do your own thing, you're welcome to do that. You can't do that in my house. <laughs> mm. Yep. So he expels Lucifer from God's house. We call that heaven. What does that look like? Well, wait till we get there to find out. But he basically says you can do whatever you want, but just not in my house. And that makes sense. You know, it's like a parent. If a child gets into drugs and mafia and gangs and that sort of thing, Mm. uh, the parent doesn't threaten to kill the child, but the parent says you're welcome to do whatever you want. You have freedom of choice. Not in my house. But don't bring that violence and that crime and those drugs and those illicit things into my house. Yeah, because in terms of love, it that relationship is it like the parents say well i still love you mm-hmm. but by what you're doing you're showing that you don't love me absolutely yeah so until until you either learn to rebuild that love or respect or whatever it is we can't have this relationship the same way it was before and mm. also it's damaging to other people around as that's well that's a big thing yeah that's a big thing yep. we like often find in our own kids growing up as if we if we see them doing hurtful behavior to others you know we find ourselves having to say to them hey look that's not on and it's often a part of like, you know, that we don't behave that way in our home. Mm. And why is it? It's because it takes the harmony out of the home. If you want to be like that, I find my kids saying to my kids, you can go and, and do that in your own bedroom and be miserable by yourself. Yeah, You know, it's like there are certain rules to preserve the happiness for others. Absolutely. We're going to read one more verse before we wrap it up. Revelation chapter 12. We said we were going there. Uh, let's read verse 7 to verse 9. Michael, if you'd like to read those, please. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay, so it tells us that this being was not alone, that other angelic beings or created beings also sided with him. Uh, It says about a third, I think, earlier on when we read in Revelation chapter uh, 12, it says about a third of the stars being swept from heaven. There's a war. Obviously, it's not a physical war. Who would stand a chance in a physical war against the Creator? (laughs) It doesn't make sense, does it? No. But it's a war of ideas, a war of truth. Who's right? Is God love? Is God taking freedom away from beings by making them do stuff or inviting them or requiring them to worship Him? This is what the debate seems to be about. And what we see God doing is he gives these beings freedom to live out their desires. Now, that's only half of the story. We've looked at what's happened in heaven. What we're going to do in our next session together is we're going to look, okay, that happened in heaven. What does this have to do with us? And it's not fair. (laughs) I never asked for this. Nobody asked me if I wanted to be involved in this conflict, in this war between God and Lucifer. Why are we stuck in the middle? How did we get into this mess? So we're going to do that on our next session on uh, Why I Believe. Thank you, Brad and Michael. Look forward to our next chat. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.